Does the process for managing risk need to be deeply complex to spot even greater risks? That is a fantastic question. That is sort of like one of the all-time questions and one of the big debates that's going out there today, especially in like banking risk, where there's all these complex regulations that are there. And do people really understand them all? Is yeah. that another issue? Yeah, I mean, people don't understand them. The, you know, the, even when they're being implemented, they don't. I mean, look at the news stories you see where, say, the New York Fed you know, says one thing to a bank and then the Federal Reserve Board of Governors comes in and says something else, or the OCC and the Federal Reserve, and they're all working to get on the, the same page with each other. The issue here is that there's this perception that you need something incredibly complex. And it turns out that when you add a complex risk management process on top of a complex real world, you're, inc you're increasing your complexity. And remember, what are our three catalysts of risk? Change, complexity, and fatigue. You've just increased that complexity factor. You've increased risk. So risk that is more effective is risk that is uh, simple so that everybody can implement it. Um, it is risk that is humble and appreciating what you don't know uh, and understand about the world. Um, and it is risk uh, is a process that gives you margin, right? It's just like having inventory buffer levels uh, in stores, right? So you're not running everything to the last just-in-time inventory level or the last carton of milk, uh, you know, tracked by barcodes. So a simpler process is often far, far more effective because mathematically it reduces the complexity factor. And then back to your human brain, great question, it makes it easier for more people to implement so you can do it at the coalface. It's not something that's stuck with just some risk management team. It is something that everybody can do and that then these phrases we toss around about risk is everybody's job really becomes a reality. So complex risk management tends to increase risk, very bad, and we try to fight that every place we can. Hey, how's it going? Hey, terrific, Sam. Delighted to be here. Man, so do you remember that uh, that, that actual event there? Um, it, there's a lot of great material from that particular interview. Um, th th was that familiar to you? Or was that, a, that too much of a throwback? <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. That's great. It's it's from pre-COVID. I mean, it's like wow. <laughs> you know, I was wearing a suit and a tie in Manhattan. Today, I'm wearing my sailing shirt and just out on the sailing boat for Memorial Day weekend and having lots of fun. But yeah, absolutely, we can connect with that kind of material, and it's just fascinating to be able to develop this over time. And now having our conversation, where we're applying it to blockchain and Web3, decentralized data, dApps, you know, so many innovative things that we can do here in this in this community. Absolutely. You know, um, you've got quite an uh, impressive background. Um, and I, I, I could probably spend about 15 minutes, you know, going through everything. But I, I just thought I'd share a couple of highlights. So um, your director and head of analytics, uh, Value Bridge Advisors, uh, Burnt Oak Capital, focus on growing companies and investment funds. Uh, previously, you actually led innovation initiatives for IBM, Lucent, which is now Nokia, um, Ameritech, now AT&T, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> across which you led teams to nine patents and launched a pioneering fintech product. Uh, you've also done a lot of finance and operations at the University of Detroit, Mercy, and economics at Western Michigan University. Um, 
you've uh it's fair to say you've been around tech uh quite a bit huh <laughs> yeah i mean you know you get into tech and it's like you know you and i know each other from the intersection of of you know tech and finance and economics and it just they grow together and it's such an opportunity to uh make it all happen and that's why when you take those pieces and you put them together with an innovative community that's where the magic really happens Yes, yes, yes. You know, um, we, um, we 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 connected through the the uh, the interconnections of the digital economists, um, and I remember the first time you know being on a uh, it was one of like the kind of like the group conference calls, the the center of excellence calls, and I was just hearing all of these extraordinary backgrounds, and uh, and yours. I mean, it, whether it was AI, whether it was uh, financial markets. You had a hand or experience in each and every single one of those. Um, and so it's been great to, to have this, this friendship with you and to keep in touch. Um, and it was recently, I want to say, when I was in Paris for the Blockchain Summit, I was sharing with you just some of the, um, I guess, the realities, right? That despite all the hype, all the billions of dollars that have gone into blockchain, we still have yet to really break through to the mainstream. And, and that's where our conversation kind of picked back up. Um, so, yeah, you know, you know, I guess if you want to maybe give a little background and perspective uh, about yourself, uh, I would love for you to share with the audience. And, and then we kind of hop into that discussion and, and maybe get your opinion and thoughts for our community as to how maybe they can uh, make some of the, uh, avoid some of the mistakes that others have in the past. So a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah, so it's really, I'm about three things and you've covered you know those. So first of all, I'm a technologist and in the nine patents and the first FinTech product at IBM, that's longer ago than I care to remember. Uh, but for your audience, it's important to know that this thing has been going for a long time and has been developing and they can ride that. It's not like they have to start yesterday and have no memory of what was in the past, successes and failures. Uh, the second thing is uh, about product management. And that's something that I, goes all the way back to my university days. And that video that you showed, uh, that was around the operational risk handbook. And in there was a chapter on product management and how you bring those together to cut your risk, to make it simpler so that everybody can be come part of the party. And that's just not like financial risk or risks and ops, but that's also sales risk as well. That's all part of new product management. Um, and then the third thing is I'm just sort of a data guy and, you know, a lot of us <laughs> out there are, and we like party equations and so that's one of the things for the graduate seminar I, I currently teach we just wrapped last week um, I'm always looking at equations even if you think about miles per hour you know what if I tell you your average speed from New York to Albany is 53.5 miles an hour what does that really tell you what can you validly inference from that right you have no idea whether a snowstorm or rainstorm, whether you're going 110 miles an hour, if you were pulled over for a big chunk of it for a speeding ticket, you have right. no idea, right? Whether you're drinking coffee all the way and making pit stops, there's very little that you can infer from a statistic. And so we really need to understand the limits of the math. And you know that's what crosses 
uh, over those those three things that would cross over uh, all the different areas that you mentioned. It's just fun. No, no, no. And that, and that definitely comes out. I mean, uh, one thing I like about you, Brian, is that uh, you like to simplify things down, right? You oh, like yeah. To, and ask the very basic question. So let's kind of, I guess, maybe start from the beginning. I mean, from somebody like yourself, who's, as you mentioned, you, you've seen, you, you've seen several different innovations, you know, from garage to mainstream, you know, over the generations. Um, what is your overall thought about what you're seeing in, in blockchain? Like, you know, in general, what do you, what do you, what, what is your opinion on what you're seeing right now? Well, first of all, I want to plug a friend's book because you said over the generations. And so Harry Evans, um, great guy, he wrote a book, um, uh, two cent Made in America, Two Centuries of Innovation. And it goes over mm. 200 years from the steam engine to the search engine. And I would encourage wow. everybody to get a copy of that book, you know, especially if like you and I were in New York City, but it's all over the world. Right. Um, but it talks about these things and you get into the inventor's mindset and you can mm. start using technology to translate into fixing a problem. I mean, it, and then there is a story of the first credit bureau. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln, future president of the United States, was a credit checker <laughs> for part of his career? No, no not at all. <laughs> not at so, all. This is the kind of stuff that's in there and these amazing stories, right? And it's just fascinating. You can see some, they made it into a PBS series out of WGBH in Boston. So wow. if you, you know, want to do the iPod, you know, while you're on the treadmill, you can do that too, whatever it is, you know, audiobooks. But it just puts you in the inventor's mindset. And it, the way he writes, a lot of books are about the technical piece, but mm -hmm. he writes about the creative process. And, a, and the issue is, solving a real problem that people will pay for. And mm -hmm. that's what's missing now to answer your question in so much of the blockchain community, because you've got right. people that can code, right? But why do we got a gazillion payments products, <laughs> right? It's because everybody's making payments and they're trying to make little incremental improvements on the other person's payments. But there are all these burning issues that can be solved in the world of web three decentralized data and d apps and those are largely being unexplored because the coders lack contextual knowledge or very often and this is where held evans book helps they're just not opening their eyes to what's available to them mm, 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 mm. solving a problem that you know i, I often i often see that uh you know kind of come up right is is you know, you, you see, you know, blockchain products come out and the number one question, um, shout out to shout out to Tyler, Tyler over at the uh, at the SDF. You know, one of the first questions he would always ask, even if I bring up an idea is, can you do this without blockchain? <laughs> so shout out to Tyler for that one. Yeah. Can you do this without blockchain? That that is that that's a that's a great question that oftentimes, uh, you know, doesn't even come up to the mind. And I, and I think, you know, maybe partly because of, of, of the hype machine and, you know, people are just thinking, okay, if I just bring something out, I slap blockchain on it, I add some tokens, um, I'm going to magically make money. 
But often, more often than not, what we end up seeing are extreme failures. You know, people, you know, investing in products and blockchains and foundations that go nowhere. Um, and, and and here we are, you know, in 2022, you know, still kind of going around in circles. Right, right. And so uh, getting to those real problems is the issue. And I see, you know, so many startup conferences where people go on to, I mean, you and I are in some of the same ones through the Digital Economist, right? The Entrepreneurs right. and Training Program and all that. And um, it, it, again, it's that limited background, right? They got to program some blockchain, they went and bought some crypto, and now they're trying to do something. And that's why we get the gazillion flavors of payments. And now we mm -hmm. get the gazillion flavors of NFT, but guess what? Because of the architectural problems, a lot of those are open to fraud. <laughs> Where's the single source of truth? And there's another right. error, and that's that because I'm taking a hash, and putting that on a block that that provides me with security. Well, that's been totally blown up in the last year after theft, after theft, after theft, after theft, because security wasn't good. Um, you know, I was up the road um, at Columbia University and, you know, talking and giving a, an example at a blockchain conference. And it's one I use often, but um, it's imagine kids making paper chains like in kindergarten. Right. And they put a staple in the paper chain. That's the hash. Now, that staple is going to stay even as some kid comes running from across the room and breaks the paper chain. So the hash is good, but there's all these other weaknesses that are out there because nobody really thought of cybersecurity in a comprehensive way around this stuff. Or now we're going to, um, you know, POS solutions. And people think, oh, it's got the Byzantine general solution in it. It's <laughs> got to be good, right? I mean, no, right. that was developed to keep servers that one might fall down from just updating each other. There was no adversarial anything as part of mm -hmm. that, despite, despite its militaristic sounding name. Um, and the other thing that we've got is that, uh, and so again, you know, shout out to Tyler. Um, <laughs> So much of this is, you know, in the gray zone, right? So much of what the bad name of blockchain is is because it facilitates fraud. Well, I say turn it around and use blockchain. And it's not just blockchain, but Web3, real mm -hmm. decentralized data, real dApps to go and fight fraud. There are so many parts of this world, and I've been doing this, you know, talk for World Bank and Inter-American Development Bank um about how it can be a fraud fighter and that's a big opportunity uh for blockchain and so people yeah. are coming countries that see it up front and up close and in person they can go and fight i mean one example um are agricultural cooperatives where people are skimming and now mm -hmm. because of you know putin's invasion and aggression and brutality in ukraine right we've got all these food shortages Right. You know, number one, number two uh, producers of sunflower oil are taken out now because of this. So um, when we look at fraud in agricultural cooperatives, wherever it is, right, Latin America, Africa, Asia, wherever you want to go, communities can get together and provide information into a chain 
But here's the thing, it's decentralized data, right? It means uh -huh. it's not sitting in a server in that country. It can be wherever in the world you want it to be. And now you can add up and say, who is skimming? And we're gonna have skimming worse now because of the food inflation and the shortages and everything else. And how can public visibility be put into these things? So that's a great opportunity. And there's so many more, I mean, that are out there that can be looked at. Um, but that's just one because it's very popular in the news. Well, and, and I think that that's, that's a, a great point. And I'm glad that you're talking to the World Bank because so often you hear the opposite story of, like you said, is that, you know, blockchain is where all the fraud is happening. When we're, a lot of us here are yelling exactly what you are saying, not as eloquently, of course, but you know that hey no actually there's a this is a great tool to prevent that um you know one thing that you had in our earlier conversations that i thought was quite interesting was how politics has infected and affected um you know the the growth path of and trajectory that we've seen in the blockchain community i was hoping maybe you could touch on that a little bit well, it's different in different countries, and it often mirrors, uh, at least in my observation, I haven't done an exhaustive survey, but it mirrors attitudes toward gold. So in some mm. countries, gold is just something that you do, right? Like in Germany, you know, you do some gold, right? In the U.S., it tends to be politicized. People on the left and people on the right tend to be gold buyers. Why? Because they distrust the middle. And so that's where you see, again, and, and now this is spreading, right, over the years because you've got the global community, just like we're participating in right now with your show, you've got more people that are aligning up who distrust the middle. And so all those people tend to gravitate toward blockchain because they distrust the middle. The problem is we've also had some issues, which we don't need to go into here because I've got lots of ink, <laughs> but <laughs> of, of blockchain models. And um, so the opportunity here, and again, this is where it's not blockchain, it's Web3, it's decentralized data, it's dApps, where that provides so much more opportunity because it's opening up functionality that we've never had before in the world of blockchain. Why? Because we've never been able to have relational-like database capabilities in the world of blockchain. And so blockchain is fragmented. And because it's fragmented, it's ripe for fraud. And because of all the narrow, you know, focused people just confusing the hash, we haven't done the cybersecurity thing right. So mm -hmm. once you put real problems, like preventing fraud, and then you put real new product management, and then you do real risk management, inclusive of cybersecurity, now you've got the ability for a whole new world to blossom around this community. And that, I think, has got a lot of potential. So I know right now there's an executive listening to this talk. And they've heard you mention Web3 about three to four times. And they're like, all right, Sam, what the hell is this Web3 thing that he keeps talking about? How would you explain that to the audience listening in 
So that way they can understand exactly how all these tools, you know, you, you hear the keywords of Bitcoin and blockchain and, and all these different cryptos, etc. What does this mean in the context of Web3? How would you describe it? So I, you can have technical explanations, but I like to describe it not too technically, but functionally, right? But you got to right. get a little bit into it. So functionally, it's, it's two real things. One, it gives you relational-like database quality, even better than relational-like database qualities. So you can do all these things that are currently totally excluded in the blockchain world because all you're doing is putting staples in a paper chain over and over and over again, block, blah, block, blah, block. The second thing is so you can tackle the security problem. And the same security problem that you have in the real world where you've got um, people going, oh, it's too hard to do security, so I won't, right? They won't use Tor browser, they won't do a million other things to protect their privacy. So once you've got user-friendly security and it's user-friendly for developer to implement to make it user-friendly for an end user and you've got the capabilities for a developer to create applications that can be used as easily as a centralized database application could be that is what i see as web3 now there's mm -hmm. some enabling technologies underneath that like fast verification across decentralized databases and that enables a collaboration and a bunch of other things. So that's the next sort of layer down on that. But I focus it on functionally opening this whole new world of capabilities. And that's where my example about the agricultural comes in. Right. Right. Because that way everybody can go and say, I'm a farmer. I can type in my thing into a database that's not in my country where corruption is rife. I put my data in. Somebody else puts their data in. You know, the the whole the next middle party gets it and they put their thing in and then so on and so on and so on. And you can see where the skim is coming from. You can uh -huh. see who is going in and, and taking out the information. All, and, and it doesn't need to be financial data. You can put in climate data, for goodness sake, all kinds right. of things. Anything where you want to have sort of community integrity in data and you believe in that model where I don't want to have the data centralized in any one place because I see some sort of risk associated with that, whether it's business continuity uh, or whether it is, you know, some kind of political fraud risk. That's that's huge opportunity to be beneficial in the in the global context. So over on Stellar Global, um, one of the, 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 the main reason for, for starting this was that I saw this, um, this tool that can connect the people from all over the, all over the globe um, to come together and to figure out, okay, how to build businesses, how to build you know, businesses with you know, applications, um, good services, um, leveraging Web3 technology. Um, what I've seen is that, as you mentioned earlier on, is that a lot of folks that are in this space early on, we're all early adopters, understand the tech side, but not the other aspect of it. Of like, okay, how do I take what I have in my head and what works on on paper into something that can penetrate the market? And so, 
Um, I wanted to, to to go through that process briefly for folks here. Um, where do we start with? Is it value proposition? Is that 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 the first thing we should start off with when we when we look at starting some sort of business or organization? Well, um, it's the number. The value proposition is number two. Number first, two. you need a deep understanding of the problem you're trying to solve, a superior understanding of the problem you're trying to solve, and it because it, again using my agriculture example, it could because you grew up as the son or daughter of a farmer. And you saw this and you heard your parents complain and you saw them lose money, you know, to some place and you're trying to figure out where it is. It could be because um, you've got a clothing business and you're just trying to make inventory more efficient and try to not get ripped off in the supply chain so you can make your buck as the end person. Or you're in between someplace you're providing fabric and you don't want to get ripped off. Whatever it is, you've got a clear understanding of a real tangible problem that you can solve. That allows you to then unlock the value of the new product management process. And um, the uh, I'll plug another book here. I've got it right here. Uh, this is the main book in new product management, it's called the Crawford book, uh, Merle Crawford and Tony DiBenedetto. It's the one I was raised on and the one I've made, you know, millions and, you know, on for products that I've launched. That's where you get into the value proposition. So once you've got your idea and you're trying to get it clarified and socialize it, then there's a classic three point value proposition. The first statement is for customers who fill in the blank. And that's defining the needs of the customer and getting that real clear in your mind. And again, that's where having a deep understanding of the problem helps. The second bullet is we offer. And this is a generic statement of what it is you're offering. And it puts you in, the, in a space with people who are and who are not your competitors. And then the third bullet point is, is different because what are we doing differently. And this gets back to the, can you do it with blockchain or not? Right? Mm -hmm. Because given how I just defined web three, you don't want a database sitting in your basement or, you know, down the street at the local service provider that somebody can go in and just drive a truck through, you know, take a <laughs> sledgehammer to whatever to, and you're out of business. Right. And also, by the way, you're trying to collaborate with other people. So you want this in whatever other countries you deem safe so that if somebody totally destroys your laptop and blasts it to smithereens with a sledgehammer, it affects nobody else. And you go to another laptop and you're back in business because you open it up, put in your credentials and away you go. Uh -huh. So that is the beauty of this. And I, I say that as literally somebody who had a friend who's had a tank driven through his you know, front window of his house to give Jeez. a gentle message to his father that it was time oh to leave the country. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So, yes. So you, 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 you've heard a thing or two. So you know a thing or two. Yeah. So <laughs> you've got to you know, think through these pieces. And that's where... I mean, people who are doing this, they're really taking personal risk. I mean, it's not like you and I crossing New York City streets, which is risky enough, right? <laughs> right, right. But they're taking serious risk. 
And you want to protect those people as much as they can and give them the resources to do that. And that's what Web3 with true relational database-like qualities and then ease of use of security is about. And that's where it can enable all these sorts of things uh, in the world. If you, you can do it for bird tracking, but you don't need it for bird tracking, right? You may want right. it because... So but this, is, this is awesome. This is, is what is very helpful. There's other applications you might want it for security, right? For energy. So if one part of a grid goes down or one you know, unit goes down, everybody else can operate independently in as many locations as you want. That's beyond right. sort of a, a cloud provider kind of notion. So all these things are, you know, have very, you know, useful business cases. And so when somebody says, I got payments, my answer to them, other than the shout out we've already done is, okay, what kind of payments? And where right. does this really matter? Right? And why does it really matter? Here's another one, right? For people that have multiple passports or reside in one country other than their home country, Right now, arbitraging interest rates is awesome. Mm -hmm. you've, got a, you've got, I mean, look at Brooklyn or Queens, right? You know, however many right. hundred languages the census says are spoken there, right? You got a lot of people from other countries. All these, you know, a lot of them are small business people. And how can they arbitrage interest rates now as mm -hmm. things are going on in the world? So that's an opportunity, right? All these different pieces are opportunities. Um, and of course, they don't want to get ripped off. So there, it's blockchain to protect them from mm -hmm. the bad poor who would just take advantage of them otherwise. It's to protect them and it's to help grow things. So lots of opportunities. Am I answering the question? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's, a, you know, one of the things, too, I, I, I see often um, and we, we've seen it with a lot of these uh, blockchain protocols that went under is air is the issues when it comes down to their governance and architecture. And that's I know that's something that you're passionate about as well. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Maybe some insights uh, people can start looking out for when they're building their own. Yeah. So on the. The governance piece, I mean, it's all about your Swiss foundation. And, you know, there um, I look at good governance models and I'll give a shout out to our friends at source.network, right? Mm -hmm. Because they've got a real mission in their uh, foundation. And I think that's fantastic. And, um, but not all of them do. You can, I mean, those are all documents you can go get online and read through. So what is it that they're trying to achieve from the governance and then how is it structured and how is it set up, right? Because you wanna be in a community that's gonna be self-reinforcing and that's gonna attract people in and so it grows. And that, I mean, that's a big thing behind, you know, almost anything, right? Concert venues or whatever it is. Right, you want a right. self-reinforcing thing for influences, but you've gotta have the underlying pieces that make it valuable for that to happen. And again, that comes to the architecture pieces. Because when you got the architecture pieces that are one, available, and two, you've got a community of people that you can turn to. 
right? For guidance and this is, I mean, just think of all the people that are using GitHub for this or whatever. Right. But now it's in these particular things. And so it's gotta be people that are in that community that have done other apps. Now you've got that self-reinforcing or the famous flywheel effect from the business literature that you can take advantage of. And so that's where I would look. And again, if you're not doing the technologies that create relational database-like quality, even better than relational database quality, and if you are not doing the security with ease of use, then you, you can't get much farther than a payments app because you can't do real stuff that does real heavy lifting that makes a difference in the, in the world. Yeah, ease of use, ease of use. I I, I think it's uh it, it it's deeply you know deeply important. Um, we were chatting prior to getting on. I was uh talking. I was telling you about the video I just did where, um, you know, he, someone was able to actually send money through a, a Stellar app, um, and then or even onload. So you can go to like a see someone could go to a CVS store, take cash, put it into a, a CVS store, unload it onto a wallet. And then transfer that wallet to uh, Argentina within seconds. Then they can then cash out and go pay their bills and or or, or use that to save. You know, I, I think that it's it's a matter of of having some, like you said, some clear cross border or clear um, you know uh, uh, meaning behind what you're trying to to build or to 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 grow in order for the public um, to to really gain interest and buy into what you're trying to do. Um, one thing I know you talked about uh, in the past too was uh, the importance of a, a marketing sales funnel, um, and and really having that um, that interplaying into what you're trying to build. Um, you know, can, can you explain a little bit about uh, this the marketing sales funnel piece of of of, of getting a successful um, entrepreneur business going? Yeah, so it it flows out of uh, the new product management book, and there's actually a professional association that Merle Crawford founded. It's PDMA.org, Product mm -hmm. Development and Management Association.org. So people that have ambitions of growing, and partnering, and connecting with other big companies around the world, I'd certainly encourage them to you know become members, and then they PDMA, can meet right, mm -hmm. right. Then they can meet you know, people at all these big firms who could be, you know, partners or potential acquirers. Mm. But the marketing sales funnel says, again, you've got to start with a deep understanding of your business. You've got to start with an understanding of your blockchain or of, sorry, of your value prop for your blockchain, or we're talking web three. Now what we do is we think about the process that somebody encounters this. Right. So somebody sends it to Sam. Sam puts it out on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever. And then it goes out and somebody sees it and they go, OK, let me click. Let me click to learn a little bit. OK, I'm interested. Let me click again to learn a little bit more. And you're giving people bite sized pieces. And here's where it becomes really subtle is that how can they get enough information that's exactly what they need? in order to be able to purchase. You wanna minimize the need for them to have to interact to uh, have a question answered because that is far more costly. So it's thinking about that content that gets people through. And then that's where you have your buyer personas, 
and you think about all these different people as I'm using it just because I'm an individual going to CVS as in your example a minute ago. Am I using it because I'm a small business person and I'm using it for financial purposes, money transfer, a loan in another country? Am I using it for inventory management and making sure I'm not being ripped off in the supply chain? What's the reason and how does this help me? So the more that that can be automated, the more you can have your questions. This is where explainer videos come in. All these pieces to progressively mm -hmm. answer questions. And where that's very important for founders is if they don't get that right, then founders are forever dragged into a sales cycle, especially mm -hmm. with partners, anybody who's big. And they are forever going through that and they're defocusing on their business. And so that is a big piece of this equation um, to keep, you know, uh, founders focused on growing and not getting sucked in. When they don't have it, it means that no salesperson that they hire, no customer support person, no pre-sales person, they're ever truly independent. They're always coming back and asking for some special situation. So you want to lay it into your, um, into your progression. Good and advice. That, that's the sort of the magic behind that. And that, remember, two things. One, a deep contextual understanding of the problem you're trying to solve. Uh -huh. And then two, using that new product management process, because then you're getting boost, you're getting sales, you're getting wind in your sales, and that's propelling you forward. And that's where the big payoffs are are going to come from nice you're nice nice just like you said at the beginning sam simplify 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 i know I, I, we got about maybe like 10 15 minutes left i wanted to uh jump in briefly because i think all this kind of leads up to you know if you're a founder building that right team around you because i mean it's it it, it, it takes a team it takes a team to make this all work all come together um, and I always believe in knowing what you're not good at, right? Focus on what you're good at and then find others that, uh, are better at what you're not. So, um, maybe describe a little bit about, and maybe your own process or, or, or maybe some books that you've read, um, that give some insight onto what it takes to build a good team. So, uh, one of my favorite things you already put forward there, um, in the, uh, new product management book from Crawford that I just showed you. So it talks about the roles that are necessary for a good team. And each one of those roles, there's two sets of things. One, they need to have technical competency, but that's not enough. They need to have critical thinking, systems thinking, and design thinking. And that's all driven by an intellectual curiosity. Some of that intellectual curiosity people are born with, some you can help them open up to. Uh, very often I see technical people, especially when I'm doing things in cybersecurity or coding, and they're just so focused, they're just so narrow in what they're doing. And it's because they're not bringing the rest of their life experience in. And when I go in and do workshops or when I get in, you know, over my head, I've got a, a PhD psychologist who happens to have done AI programming and he's, you know, does a garage band and fixes motorcycles and all these kinds of things. So he's great for programmers. But 
it is an ability to understand and open people's minds because they're rock climbers. They ride motorcycles. They might be in a garage band, you know, all kinds of things. They could be artists, painters, you know, scuba divers, private pilots, all these kinds of things that people might do. And you want to bring in that they might be, you know, aspiring fiction writers and always write, bring that into what you're doing, bring that into the team and use that to get the critical thinking, systems thinking and design thinking that's needed to be successful. That's very powerful. And so that facilitation on top of the expertise of the different roles, you know, full stack developer. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but what, how do we harness the full whole person? And that gets into the diverse high performing teams where, uh, your friend and my friend, Prachi Kali from the digital economist is, is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's because it, what you're saying is very difficult to do because I have seen so many times, uh, you know, um, I would say, uh, you know, companies that I've seen pop up a lot of it, a lot of the failures come down to the team's butting heads. Right. I mean, you see, you see this happen, you know, so often. Um, and, and I don't know, it's I guess everything is great in the beginning. Right. In the beginning, everybody's happy. Everybody says the right things, but it always seems like somewhere in, in, in the middle, once things start to, once the real work starts to come in, that's when we see things go sour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But see, I always saw that in two ways. I love it. Only but, two ways. <laughs> yeah. It's, it it got to simplify, Sam. Simplify. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so one path is to understand where the person is coming from technically. Because sometimes it's because they simply don't know that something else exists. Because a lot of these people are young and they haven't been exposed to stuff. They've never been in team environments before other than school projects or other startups. And a lot of those had dysfunctional experiences. So they've never been in a really enjoyable, empowering kind of environment for doing whatever their task is, right? And that can be development to uh, you know, web design for the marketing campaign or people who are doing the finance function and payroll and whatever it is. So you've got those pieces and you help them develop the richness of what they're doing there. The second piece is what we just mentioned. And you bring out the personality pieces because a lot of them are just dogging it, right? They're just completely overwhelmed. They're living on coffee and donuts and it, that's it. And once we unleash that person that's within, once we bring those collaborative pieces together, and then you get the collaboration going over with the technical skill on the other side, and you bring those two together, that's where Prachi and I do these outcome accelerator workshops and her diverse high-performing team coaching. And people are laughing. I mean, I, I'm doing one on Friday and I was been prepping for it earlier today. And we talk about how to get people to the whiteboard, how to be, get people having fun, how to get people laughing, you know, how mm -hmm. do people see the aha moment. And that just changes the dynamics all around. I mean, 
We talked about Swiss foundations. I did one in Switzerland one time. You know, beautiful place, where, beautiful place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, and it's it is so nice, right? When people start energizing, and they, the company spent a bunch of money. They brought people in from the UK and Germany and other locations where you know parts of the team were. I came in from the states, and we did great stuff. Right. And we walked through this and the, the guy who was a team leader in Zurich, he just said, Brian, you're so patient. And I said, well, I'm patient because I've done this and I see <laughs> the good times that results at the end of every one of these. And, you know, in the operational risk handbook that that interview was from, I even spend two chapters walking through how to go through this. And I do it, you know, depending upon the setting, you know, two and a half days, three and a half days. Um, in the sec it's half days because everybody travels home the afternoon of the last day. But right. that's Not the beauty of it. And it is so attainable. It's so attainable. And it's just so sad when you see these implosions and the anger and it was totally unnecessary. No, I love it. I love it, man. That's a great way to, to close this off. I, I think that... Uh, you know, too often people take things way too serious. And uh, one of the great things I was talking with you has been, you know, your ability to, you know, your ability, I believe, to really, um, you know, take things, you know, you know, take things easily, simplify things down. Um, and I'm glad that you talked about just people need to embrace you know, why you got into this to begin with, right? You got into this to begin with because you want to do some positive, change the world. And uh, if you focus in on that and you have a little fun, maybe you just might do it. <laughs> and, and sometimes you have more fun than you realize. And that's awesome, especially when you're doing it to help somebody else and solve well, a real problem. That's right. That's right. Listen, Brian, it was a uh, it was a pleasure. I uh, hope everyone enjoyed the, the chat. Uh, we'll definitely uh, ha have to I have to fly out to get on your boat, um, you know, because I know you were cleaning it yeah. last time we talked. So I need to go out there and, and, and hang out with you a little bit uh, on that and see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> To everybody else that's been listening, I hope you guys got something. Um, I want to plug, um, you, you plug some great books. I want to plug thinkdesigncyber.com. Um, briefly, talk about that a little bit. Uh, thinkdesigncyber.com, people can go out there. Uh, what's the focus of, of, this, uh, of this organization here? Uh, very simply, it is the first ever to bring design thinking to cybersecurity, and in particular, the industrial strength flavor of design thinking to cybersecurity, as opposed to just the UX stuff that you use in any software product or use a design anti-phishing emails. So huge thing, never been done before. And, um, and your friend of my friend, Prachi Kale, and I co-founded that. And that's related to the Cyber Theory Institute where we've got a couple other co-founders to do even bigger and better stuff. Awesome. Well, tell Prachi I need to do a show with her next. Um, yes. Right. It, yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Uh, hang on real tight to everybody else. Uh, check in next week. I'll be back with another podcast. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, it will be up on Spotify starting tomorrow. Um, and we can also catch all of the previous episodes as well. Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.